Almighty Father in heaven, you alone are righteous and just. You are good and wise. You are our judge. And we come this morning acknowledging that it is you alone that we must give an account. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for ordering our world according to your right and good standards. Thank you, Lord, for restraining this evil world that it may not go headlong into the miseries that it longs for. Father, I praise you and thank you that you have allowed us to live with joy and blessings in this world that is broken. These things are good things that you have given to us. Lord, would you help us see this morning our constant desire to live on our own with little, little regard for your law and your statutes so often. Lord, we confess that our lives and even our choices are too often marked more by the world's empty wisdom than by your perfect and good counsel. Would you give us faith this morning, Father, and repentance? Repentance that we might turn from our self-reliant ordering of our own lives and faith that we might submit to your leadership and ordering of our lives through the leaders and authorities that you've placed around us. Would you press upon us this fact this morning, Lord God, that we will give an account to you one day for our words, for our choices, for our actions. May this sober our hearts and cause us to be more careful and faithful to live according to your bidding, according to your word, according to your standards. Oh, that we might turn to Christ this morning, Father, who is our representative, our Savior, our Deliverer. For he alone do we have access to you, our righteous and holy God, the maker of all things the one to whom we must give an account. Grant us faith, I pray this morning, Father, in Christ, that we might be with God, that the Lord may direct our ways and the way we walk and the way we live, and that we might live at peace, not only with our Maker, but also with one another. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our righteous judge and our strong deliverer. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> what does God what does God think about your vocation or your work? The job that you do, the, the kind of work do you do, the quality of work that you do. Is God concerned about that particular aspect of your life? What does God think about your relationship with your extended family, whether it's good or bad or how you have related with them? Your relationship with each other this morning in this congregation, in this room, what does the Lord think about those relationships and how you deal with those and how you interact or maybe how you pull back? Does the Lord care about how you have spoken to your spouse, your kids, your parents, your co-workers this week? Are we accountable before the Lord for all of these daily events and relationships? Are we accountable before the Lord in those? Will we have to answer for them? Will we have to give an account for them before the Lord? I think we know that that is the case. But do we live as if there will be a day when that will be reckoned? Jesus says in Matthew 12, 36, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Verse makes me shudder. Our text this morning serves as a hinge in the book of Exodus between two major sections in the book of Exodus. The first section in the book of Exodus is Exodus chapters 1 through 18 that is revealing God as a deliverer and a savior, one who saves his people, one who delivers his people. He's declaring who he is and and what he's doing there. The second section, major section in the book of Exodus, there's three actually, but we're just going to talk about these two because Exodus 18 serves as a hinge for these two. 
Exodus 19 through 24 is the second major section. And where the first section talked about God being a deliverer and a God who saves, the second section speaks of God who's a God who demands and a God who speaks. The main portion of that section is Exodus 20 where the Ten Commandments are given, right? God is demanding or speaking to his people and saying, these are the ways that you are to live. And so this Exodus 18 is really a hinge for us. It's a hint for us to begin seeing what God is seeking to do here. We talked about many times already that the book of Exodus is really the Lord answering the question that Pharaoh asked Moses. Pharaoh asked Moses in Exodus chapter 5, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? And that question is the question that the Lord is trying to answer not only for Pharaoh in Egypt, but also for his people in the book of Exodus and also for us today. Who is the Lord? He's a Savior. He's a Deliverer. That we should obey his voice because he's a God who demands things of us. He's a God who has spoken and he asks us to do things, to live according to his commandments. Who is the Lord that we should obey his voice? This question from Pharaoh is really the theme of Exodus. It's what the book of Exodus is trying to do. The last part of that question, that we should obey his voice, is really what is being dealt with here in our passage this morning. You see, what we find this morning is that the Lord not only delivered his people and saved his people, but he expected them to live a particular way. And the question that's before us this morning, the question that's before God's people this morning in the book of Exodus is, how are we to obey his voice? And what particularities are we to be obeying his voice and living according to his standards? We're not only a delivered people, but we are a people who are to obey him, to live our every aspect of our lives according to his word, allowing the Lord to inform us by, about every choice and every relationship that we have. This is what we are going to step in on this morning as we step into the camp of the Hebrews at the foot of the the mountain of God. Jethro steps into this camp and sees for the first time what's taking place among the Hebrews, among God's people, as Moses is leading them. And this morning we're going to be stepping into that camp of of the Hebrews with Jethro to see how the Lord is ordering his congregation, his people, that they may obey his voice. And so this morning, as we consider that, we're going to look at, we're going to move from the first part of Exodus 18, which was last week, that talks about Jethro's confession. This is verses 1 through 12. To this week, we're going to be looking at Jethro's wise counsel. This is verses 13 through 27. Jethro's wise counsel in verses 13 through 27. So we're going to be looking at Jethro as he counsels Moses wisely concerning this, this idea or aspect of obeying God's voice. And we're going to notice the passage in three parts this morning. Three categories I want us to notice this morning. First is the problem that's revealed. The problem that's revealed to Moses. It's in chapter 18, verses 13 through 18. Verses 13 through 18, the problem revealed. And then secondly, the second category or point that I want us to make or see this morning is in verses 19 through 23, the solution proposed. The problem revealed, the solution proposed. This is in verses 19 through 23. And then finally, I want us to notice the counsel applied. The counsel applied, verses 24 through 27. And just note the first two points will be much longer. The final and third point is really a summary and a conclusion to the message. So um, with that as our roadmap, let us dive into Exodus chapter 18, verses 13 through 27. Notice with me first the problem that's being revealed by Jethro to Moses of what's going on. As, as Jethro now has been, uh, Jethro and Moses have been reunited, and the Lord has um, used Moses to speak to Jethro. Jethro has made this miraculous amazing confession that there is no other gods like the Lord of Moses, the one who Moses um, follows and worships. And after this reunion and amazing confession, now Jethro, on the very next day, steps into this, this massive camp at the foot of the mountain of God with God's people everywhere, and he's seeing a routine everyday day of Moses 
as, um, as, as Moses goes about his normal daily routine. And we see this in verse 13. The next day, Moses, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning until evening. It says in verse 14, when Moses' father-in-law, they don't mention Jethro's name, but it was mentioned so many times earlier in Exodus 18 that we know that it's Jethro. Verse, uh, verse 14, when Moses' father-in-law saw that he was uh, what he that he was doing, excuse me, when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? What is this that you're doing for the people? Now notice with me the problem that Jethro is bringing forward in verse 14. What are you doing? What, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning Till evening. Notice with me that the problem was not what Moses was doing. The fact that he was judging God's people and doing this work was a good thing. Jethro doesn't have a problem with that. Jethro's problem is with how Moses is doing this work. One, he's doing it alone. It says in verse 14, he says, Why do you sit alone? And second, he's doing it from morning to night. He's, he's filling his day with this very important, vital work that must be done. So here what we find is Moses is not, or Jethro is not saying, you need to rid yourself of this work. No, he's saying the way you are doing this work is not proper. So we see in our, in our passage here in verse 14, he says, Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning to evening? All day long. And we move now to look at verse 15. It says, And Moses responds to Jethro's questions. And he gives a reason why he is there alone from morning to evening. And Moses is declaring something amazing here. He says in verse 15, Moses says to the father-in-law, the reason he's doing this is because the people come to me to inquire of God. Now this is a Admirable. This is a glorious, this is an excellent work. It says here to inquire of God. Another way of translating is that, is that these people are coming uh, seeking the Lord's will in their life. They're pursuing the Lord. They're wanting to know what the Lord thinks about things that are happening in their day in and day out lives. The work that's being done is a good work. Moses is saying, these people are coming to me and asking me about the Lord. This is wonderful. This is glorious. This is a great thing to do. They're seeking God, Jethro. That's what they're doing. They're asking that the Lord would dictate and inform their everyday lives, their relationships. And even when we sometimes think that the New Testament church or maybe the Old Testament church was more godly than our churches and that today we need to be more like the New Testament or more like the Old Testament... Notice what it says. As early as Exodus 19, it says that they are inquiring of the Lord, verse 16, when they have a dispute. In other words, they're arguing. And there's disputes and there's conflicts in their midst. It says when they have a dispute, Moses goes on and says, They come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Do you see that there in the end of verse 16? I want you to know that first thing that we, need, we note from this passage is that God's people are not ignoring or thinking lightly of the conflicts and disputes that are in their midst. They're not like us, who too often want to ignore or pretend like there isn't conflict or dispute. That, that think, well, it's just not a big thing. I'll just pretend that it'll, it'll go away. I'll keep my mouth shut. It's nothing big. I'll just go on. No, they're wanting to deal with the disputes and the conflicts and the struggles in their relationship. Why? Because they know, and we're going to find that this is really the aim of the passage, they know that God sees them. If you knew that God isn't just seeing what you see, but God knows your heart, especially your heart concerning one another as a body of believers, wouldn't that force you and drive you to say, I need to find out what God thinks about this dispute, this conflict, this struggle that I may be having. No, what we find in our passages first that they're not ignoring or thinking lightly of these disputes and conflicts. No, they're addressing them. Also, what we find in this passage is that Moses 
is not simply giving them his take on things. He's not simply a go-between for the people. He's not simply giving them a man-centered therapy to say, this is how you guys can get along. Moses is not doing that. Moses instead is telling them, this is what God thinks about this. You see how that's different? That's different than what we so often think we need. We so often think that we need a, a therapy or a take or a, or a view or a slant on something. But no, what we need, brothers and sisters, when we're dealing with one another in our everyday lives and in our choices, is we need to know what does God think about this? How does God think that I should act? And what choices does God want me to make? And how does God want me to interact in these particular circumstances? That is why it says in our passage, when they have a dispute, they come to me and decide between one person and another, and I make them know, not his own feelings, not Moses' view, not Moses' perspective, no. Instead, he says, I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. What Moses is doing is a glorious work. And according to our passage, these people are wanting this. They're not wanting just to make things smooth over. They're not wanting just to ignore the disputes. They're wanting God's perspective on this so that they can deal with it in a way that's faithful. Moses was constantly showing the people that it was God's law that should direct their thoughts and their actions. The Lord, brothers and sisters, is our final judge of whom we must give an account. And as we interact with one another, specifically as a body of believers, we need to realize that what the Lord has done in our midst is he's called us to be a people who relate with one another differently than how the world relates with one another. We are to be an example of reconciliation, redemption, forgiveness, leaning into one another's very difficult and broken lives, the, the stick-with-it-ness of God's people as we seek to be faithful to love one another well. Brothers and sisters, this is what God has called his people to in Exodus 18, what he's calling us to. And the way we, the way we do that isn't by trying to figure out how to love one another in a way that we think is best, but instead by bringing each other before God's word and allowing God's objective outside of our feelings and emotions word dictate and tell us how we're to respond and act in our choices, in our conflicts, and in our relationships. We revert too often, brothers and sisters, as God's people, we revert to the same way that the world thinks about problems and conflicts and struggles. We, 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 we acknowledge and we have more ability to align ourselves with Dr. Phil and Oprah on how they deal with conflict than we do with how the Lord has told us to deal with conflict. The world is seeping in. And so when we have a conflict or a struggle and we're getting ready to make a choice, we ask questions like this, what will make me happy? How can I feel better about this circumstance or situation? Where can I find help and resources to fix my problems? You see, all of those have one thing at the center. And that is you. That is you. What God has called us to as a body of believers is to take ourselves out of the center and make the Lord the center of all that we are. Instead, we've been delivered. We've been saved as God's people. We've been delivered and saved from a self-centered, my way of doing things. So now my daily choices, my daily conflicts, my daily struggles all have relationship to what does God think about this? You see, we're bought with a price. We're not our own anymore. Our first thought should be, instead of what will make me happy, how can I fix this, what will get, make this situation or circumstance smooth over, instead, as God's people, we ask this, these kinds of questions. What does God think about this? Is there a statute or a law or a command of God that speaks to this issue? How can I be faithful and please God with this circumstance, with this relationship? You see, we rarely ask those kind of questions because we do not understand. We so often think that God is out here somewhere and not at the very center of our lives. We want relief. That's why we go to therapy. 
Instead, we should be as God's people saying, we don't just want relief. We want God's perspective. We want, we want God's peace and healing and rest in our lives. Why do we do this? Because the Lord our God is not only our Savior, but why do we do this as God's people? He's not only our Savior, but he's also our judge. And when I mean that, I'm not saying judge in the sense that he's got a big hammer in the sky. The idea of judge, specifically here in the book of Exodus 18, is that God's not only one who exacts righteousness and makes things right, but he's also a God who lovingly and graciously brings us all the things that we need that are good. This idea of judge is one who rules and reigns over. It's not just one who has a hammer that that lowers it every time we do something wrong. That's the idea sometimes we get of the word judge, but in the, in, in our, in the Old Testament understanding of judge, it, it is a God who, who, has a, who has an exactness, and he does judge in the sense that he brings right things to bear, but he's also a God who gives us blessing, orders our lives, and cares for us. God is not only our Savior, brothers and sisters, he's also our Lord. He's not only our Deliverer, he is our judge the one to whom we must give an account and how do we do that hebrews 4 12 says for the word of god is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword piercing through the division of soul and spirit joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart no creature is hidden from his sight it says no creature is hidden from his sight but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account Do we live that way? Do you see the connection between God's commandments and our giving an account? We're going to be giving an account not to God of whether we did our best. Or, you know, Lord, I messed up in all these, but you know I meant well. And you know I really tried hard. And you know I really just had good intentions and good motivations. No, the question that will be brought to each and every one of us is this. Have we we been faithful to God's standards and commands? The word of God is the standard. It's not just because it's the Word of God. It's because the Word of God is a reflection of who God is. The Word of God is a reflection of God's holiness, His righteousness, His goodness, His wisdom. And we will all be naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. This Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning our thoughts and even our intentions. We have to give an account, brothers and sisters. You see, God's people, Moses was doing a a good thing the wrong way. He was doing a good thing in that he was bringing God's word to to God's people. Now, this is a people who've been wandering in the wilderness, who didn't have food and water and a way to sustain themselves for so long. It seems like there's thousands of other things that if we as Americans were here in this spot, we would think you guys need a lot more stuff than just hearing from Moses every day from sun up to sundown. No, God's people here are doing the right thing. They're with their every concern and choice and decision and conflict and dispute. They're coming to Moses and saying, what does the Lord think about this? How can we live in light of what the Lord thinks about this? How can we understand his laws and his commands? This is a good thing that Jethro saw as a problem for Moses. Why was Jethro seeing it as a problem for Moses? Well, Jethro's not one, you know, well... Most father-in-laws don't mince words. I mean, they're going to they're gonna shoot straight. Why? Because you have my daughter, right? That's how that works. So father-in-laws are going to shoot straight. They're never going to mince words. They're going to say exactly what's, what's on their heart. And Jethro is just exactly that way. In verse 17, he says, Moses' father-in-law said to him, Moses, what you're doing is not good. Can't be any more clear than that. Jethro's saying, What you're doing is not good. And then he goes on and explains himself. It's not that the actions that he was doing, in other words, giving giving God's people God's word, helping them um, as they inquired of God to know what God thought of things, that's not the part that is not good. It says in verse 18, it goes on and explains, You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. For the thing is too heavy for you. This job, this vocation, this work that you're doing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Do you see how Jethro is speaking here? Jethro's not saying the work needs to be laid aside. 
He's saying the work is so important that if you continue to do it this way, you're going to wear yourself out and the people will be worn out and you'll no longer be able to do this excellent, awesome work anymore. You'll wear them out and they'll no longer be coming to find out what God wants in their lives. So Jethro here is saying the work is so excellent, so, so worthy, so good, that you need to be doing it in a different way so that you and the people do not get worn out and no longer have access to this amazing work that you're able to do. And so we find here that Moses is not being called to abandon the work, but instead to continue in the work in such a way that he can do it for the duration. Point number one, the problem that was revealed, verses 13 through 18. Point number two, notice with me in verse 19, it begins there. And this is the solution that's proposed by Jethro. The solution proposed by Jethro. Verses 19 and 20. Jethro first says this to Moses. He says, first, you need to know, Moses, what you and you alone need to be doing. In other words, you can't do everything. You need to focus on the thing that God has given you to do and you uniquely have to do because if you don't do it, nobody else can. And so what Moses does is, or what Jethro does is he tells Moses to focus on his role and the three primary vital responsibilities that are Moses's and Moses's alone. So notice what he says in verse 19. Now obey my voice and I will give you advice and God be with you. Underline that in your heart and your mind right now because I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. And God be with you. He gives them three pieces of advice. He says these are three vital responsibilities that Moses has that no one else can do. And he's telling Moses, you can't do everything, but you've got to do the thing that God has called you to. And this is the role that he's given you. And here are the three vital, necessary, important responsibilities that you have, Moses. First, at the end of verse 19, you shall represent the people before God. Do you see that? Number two thing that he's told them about is in verse 20. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the law. That's the second responsibility that Moses was given. And then thirdly, thirdly, at the end of verse 20, you shall make them know the way. You shall make them know the way in which they must walk. Now, these aren't responsibilities that Jethro is giving to Moses. I want you to understand. These are responsibilities that the Lord has given to Moses that Jethro is identifying and saying, Moses, these are the things you need to do. These are the important things. Why? Because first, representing the people before God. The King James has it worded, Be thou for the people to Godward. Okay, I like the word Godward, so I wanted to read the King James in that verse. But um, the, idea is, the idea basically, in other words, means stand before God for the people. To represent the people before God. No one else has been given this task but Moses. Moses is the one who's going to go to the top of the mountain. And where does he tell the people to stand? Not only at the foot of the mountain, but don't touch it or it'll kill you. Moses is the one who goes before God on behalf of the people. Moses is the one who's been given that responsibility by God. This task, this responsibility. No one will know God if Moses doesn't intercede for them. In other words, they don't know anything about God except for what Moses has told them up to this point. They have no clue of who God is, that he wanted to deliver them, that he's a strong and powerful God, that he is the I am. All these things that the Lord is communicating to them that he is, he's doing it by saying it to Moses, and then Moses is telling the people. And so being a representative before, the people, uh, before God for the people is something that Moses alone, Moses is unique in this responsibility and task. And what Jethro is saying is, if you are doing all kinds of other things, you won't be able to do this one thing that nobody else can do. It's important for us to understand that Moses had this responsibility. The second responsibility, the second responsibility is there in verse 20. You shall warn them about the statutes and the laws. Moses here was to warn God's people. You see, in this day, God's people didn't understand the Lord as being a helpful God or a co-pilot or a best friend to hang out with. They knew that the Lord was a a God who was powerful and strong, and they sat under his authority. 
And so Moses here is warning them and saying, you need to, you need to be careful because you might at best begin ignoring the laws of God or at worst begin opposing the very laws of God. And so Moses was constantly coming to them and saying, beware, I'm warning you, the word of God can be slipping away from you and you don't even know it. Did you hear that this morning, brothers and sisters? That's not a word just from Moses to the people. Why do we come here every Sunday? Because you and I are amazing at forgetting. We forget. We forget the sure and strong and definite character of God, the strength of God, the working of God. We doubt his love and his desire for peace in our lives. We become confused and are like waves tossing here and there. And so we come to find an anchor where there's a place where we can stand, what the Bible calls a rock or a refuge where we can hide. Brothers and sisters, I warn you, could it be that the word of God is slipping away? That at best you may be just not coming to it regularly as you should. Instead, you are ignoring it. You're not making it a vital aspect of your regular daily lives. At worst, you may, be, you may know exactly what the Lord wants you to do in a particular area, and you're opposing it. There's no way God's asking me to do this. Brothers and sisters, I want to warn you this morning, as Moses warned God's people, as it says here, what did he warn them of? Concerning the statutes and the laws of God. The third responsibility that was vital and essential for God's people to be what God has called them to be is at the end of verse 20, and he, make, he will make known to them, notice this, the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Now, that's as comprehensive as it sounds. That sounds pretty broad sweeping, doesn't it? That's almost like the Lord wants to be about every second of our lives, and that's exactly what this is saying. This is saying that Moses was helping them know the way in which they must walk. And the idea there is in the Old Testament, in the New Testament as well. You know, we walk according to the laws of the Lord. We, we walk according to being saved in Christ. This idea of walking is our, our day in and day out living. And then it goes on. It says not only in the way we day in and day out make choices and live and walk and live eat and eat and breathe, everything that we do, but also it goes on and says, and what they must do. In other words, how they should not only think and decide and make choices and schedule and plan, but also the very things that they are doing should be informed by who God is and his laws and his statutes. These are the three vital responsibilities that were given to Moses by God that Jethro is reminding Moses of. Now, these are amazing things. Why would Moses want to do anything else? Why would he want to do anything else? Because there were people there that had all kinds of other needs. There were all kinds of circumstances and situations and and scenarios and problems and difficulties and struggles. And I can't imagine as Moses was here trying to judge or rule or take care of these thousands, possibly millions of people and all their different issues from morning to night trying to do that. As I look at our small congregation and think about the fact that I am so apt to leave the responsibility that God has given me to preach his word every Lord's Day. None of you have been called to do that. I have been called to do that. But I'm, I'm so apt to run off and to help someone do something that's, that's not what God has called me to do for the purpose of doing something that's not bad it's just not best each and every one of us are in those circumstances each and every one of us are in those circumstances we have things that God has called us to do and only we can do and we're so quick to run off and to leave those responsibilities so that we can do something other than what God's called us to do it's an opportunity for the spirit to work in your life to help you see what those may be And ask if your life as Jethro was correcting and bringing clarity and focus to Moses, what is it that the Lord wants us to do in order to bring clarity and focus in our own lives, the things we're doing? So we see as these responsibilities, these vital responsibilities are declared to Moses, 
Then Jethro says, those are things you need to do. Now what about all these other things that need to happen? Well, Jethro says, well, this is what you need to do. He made a proposal. He said, this is how all the other work needs to be done. Verse 21. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, and he gives qualifications for these men. Notice it says, men who fear God, who are trustworthy, who hate a bribe. These are the qualifications for these men. Now, so many commentators and preachers automatically take this and say, these are elders and deacons and go right there. Um, that's not the case. Um, not that these, This is definitely a foundation for elders and deacons, but it's really a foundation for any kind of leadership. Um, this is early on in our Bibles, and we don't have the specifics and the clarity of the 1 Timothy chapter 3 that I read earlier. We don't have that until we get to 1 Timothy chapter 3. But we have these foundational things that are being laid that are not opposed to 1 Timothy 3, but just don't give us all the specifics. Here we have just a a small list of the integrity of the leaders that we should have. Not only in, in this case, it's not just for God's people, Israel, but in general. We find that these are the qualifications for a king later on in in our Old Testament. These are qualifications that, that, are, that are expected of even pagan kings in our Old Testament. Maybe these should be qualifications for a presidential candidate, possibly, that we would want to vote on or decide whether we should vote on. But it says here that these qualifications for this leader is this. It says in verse 21, able men... From all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy, and who hate a bribe. That makes the list small for leadership today. But it's definitely one that we should consider. So we see here a high qualification for these leaders that should be helping Moses with all these other tasks. Not only do we see a high qualification for the leaders, but we also see a manageable structure that's put in place here. A manageable structure. So notice with me at the end of verse 21, it says, And place such men over the people as chiefs, over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. In other words, give them responsibilities that are manageable and allow them to care for these in structural ways. He then goes on in verse 22 and he gives them a clear direction of what they're supposed to do. Verse 22, And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they, should fall, they shall bring to you, Moses, But any small matter, they shall decide for themselves. There's clear direction, high qualifications, manageable structures, clear direction. And then finally, I want you to see at the end of verse 22, a plain purpose or reason for doing this. At the end of verse 22, it says, So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. That's why you need to do it. So it'll be easier for you, Moses, and so that they will bear the burden with you. A plain and clear purpose there. High qualifications, manageable structures, clear direction, plain purpose. That's why in 1 Timothy 3 this morning when I read, it says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be a, the, to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task, it says. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. He has these qualifications. 1 Timothy 3.10 says, And let the deacons also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. What an amazing qualification for elders and for deacons. You see, our passage here isn't, isn't doing anything more than just laying a foundation, laying a groundwork. Now, this is where I want us to... I want, my hope on Sunday mornings when I'm preaching that I'm not only helping you see the Bible and understand it and apply it in your life, but I'm helping you study your Bible for yourself. I'm helping you get tools so that you can look at your Bible and begin understanding it for yourself. Hopefully, when I show you things in Scripture, you're like, okay, I see that. That's that's right there. Most, if not all, of the sermons that are preached on this text comes from an American paradigm of um, productivity and um, IBM business model leadership kind of ideas and they then they, they, they teach this they make some application and then they move on 
However, my question to you this morning, did Moses write this to simply give his people of that day and us today, did he write this simply to give us leadership structures and advice? Many take this passage and run with it and use it as an opportunity to preach on elders and deacons and the importance of those. And no doubt there's some of that here. But is that why Moses brought this to his people? And is that why we have it today? I would say no. That's not the aim. That's not the focus. This is how the text is often understood. However, anyone who is unsaved and a business professor in our local university can read this and make observations on leadership. Brothers and sisters, any Jewish rabbi could read this and make the observations that I've made up to this point concerning leadership. The high qualifications, manageable structures, clear direction, plain purpose. That sounds just like Stephen Covey wrote it. Okay, God wrote it. How are we as Christians supposed to see this passage? When we read our Bible, and even when we read our Old Testament... Did you hear me? I'm going to say that again to underscore it. Even when we read our Old Testament, we must insist on this question of every text. Are you ready? We must insist on this question of every text we read in our Bibles and even the Old Testament, and it is this. Why is Christ's life, death, and resurrection necessary for this text to be true? (laughs) Why is Christ's Life, death, and resurrection necessary for this passage. In other words, Jesus in the New Testament says that all the law, the prophets, and the wisdom literature is about him. And so if we aren't taking Jesus' words and then saying, why does Christ's life, death, and resurrection matter with this text, then we're not answering, we're not applying, we're not thinking about this passage in a way that's Christian but instead in a way that's very secular, in a way that sees the Bible as more than just a handbook to kind of get us through the day or order our lives or help us with different details. But when we ask this question about Christ's life, death, and resurrection, we're now equipped to deal with our text in a Christian way. But you may ask, is this not requiring something of the text that makes us at least force something onto the text that isn't there, or at worst, downright get the text wrong? Could it be that forcing this question onto every text in the Old Testament is, is, a, is a way of, of doing something that's not an issue of integrity in way of handling the text? Studied the Bible a good bit, studied the Old Testament a good bit, and I've been amazed. I mean, there's, there's been times that I've gasped out loud in my office when I saw how Christ was the point of passage after passage after passage in the Old Testament. When, when you preach through the genealogies of Genesis and find Christ there, it makes you gasp. It makes you amazed. Wait a minute. Jesus was right. Every syllable in our Bible is about Jesus. It's about him. So, I think it's right and appropriate, and in fact, it is required that we ask this question of every text. And this morning, I want you to see why asking this question, why is Christ's life, death, and resurrection necessary for this text? Why it's important for us to ask this question of this text. Notice with me, if you will. Look with me at the bookends of Jethro's proposed solution. Jethro comes to Moses. You're doing it all wrong. Let me give you a solution on how you do this. First, Moses, focus on what's your responsibility. Then give the rest of these duties and responsibilities away to everybody else that can do these responsibilities, qualified men that can do this work. Notice with me, if you will, what precedes Jethro's advice. Verse 19, he says, Jethro does, Now obey my voice. I will give you advice. Notice this phrase. And God be with you. And God be with you. Jethro is saying, this advice, Moses, 
is for the purpose of helping you and God's people, because of Moses, that God will be with you, Moses, and with all the people. The reason I'm giving you this advice, Jethro's giving Moses this advice, isn't just so that Moses can order and orchestrate and administrate God's people out in the wilderness and and get them in little um, categories and put chiefs over them and do all the organizational stuff. That is not the end. That's not the aim. The aim, according to Jethro, is that God be with you, Moses, and with God's people, because that's the point. Notice at the end of Jethro's solution, he says in verse 23, If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure. Do you see how the beginning of Jethro's solution says, And God be with you. At the end of Jethro's solution, he says, And if you do this, God will direct you. The idea there is that he will will guide you. He will will, uh, lay before you the path that you need to have. Jethro is saying here that the reason Moses needs to order God's people in this way and Moses needs to focus on his task and then give the others away, why? It's because in so doing, God can better be with you. Why do we have leadership? It's not just because we need to be organized as much as I love organization. The reason we need leadership is because that's the means, just the means, but nonetheless the means by which God has given us as a congregation and as people in, the, in chapter 18, this is the means by which God has given to us that we may focus on God being with us. In other words, how could God's people during this day make the word of God central and the very center of all of their living and choices and decisions they make? How could God's people do that? By setting up the structure. Don't lose the aim, that is being with God, knowing what he wants, living according to his standards. That's the aim. Don't lose that glorious aim by looking at the means, and that is the structures and the organization that Jethro was calling Moses to. I believe that what the Lord was doing here and what Moses is doing as he's writing this to us is he's saying that the Lord wanted to be in the midst of his people and that the way Moses was judging and ordering his life was in such a way that he was bottlenecking the ability for all of God's people to know God's statutes and his laws And therefore, they were going to be worn out, and they were going to walk away from God's word. They were going to leave God's God's word. They They were going to not be able to apply it as they should. And so what it says in verse 23, if you do this, Jethro tells Moses, God will direct you. He will guide you. He he will will be with you. He will help you understand the direction you need to go. And you will be able to endure in doing this. And notice what it says at the end of verse 23. It's great. And all this people also, Jethro is saying, this is a result of you doing these things. And all this people also will go to their place in peace, in shalom, with wholeness. They will go to their homes rewarded, ordered, and satisfied in their souls. Why? Because the word of God is getting into their lives regularly. This peace is what God desires for his people. The the ordering and the orchestrating of the administration was for the purpose of God being with his people, God directing his people, and for God's people to be able to go to their homes at night in peace. That's why he was giving it to them. Now, hold on with me. I know you're still trying to figure out how does that matter with Jesus, okay? Here we go. How may we be with God? Have him direct our lives so that we may live at peace. Could it be that this is what Moses was wanting for the people in our text and for us today? Could it be that the leadership structure was simply a good and helpful means but not the end? 
We must not forget the end, the aim that Moses and Jethro had. It was to be with God, to have his direction, and to be able to go to their places in peace. But how? How? We must come this morning to one whom Moses prefigured. In order for God's people to know who God was and how they were to respond to God and how they were to interact and relate to God, who did they have to go to? Moses. Why? Because Moses, according to verse 19, is the representative before God for his people. But today we have one whom Moses only prefigured. We have one today that we go to that clearly and perfectly displays to us and is our mediator and represents us on behalf of God. And it's Jesus Christ alone. Do you see how the point is that we may be with God? And we still have these structures and leadership with elders and deacons in our congregation. But the point is that we may be with God. And how do we, who do we point to? Do we, we say, if you want to be with God, go to Moses. No, that's not what we say. We say, if you want to, if you want to have a relationship with God, holy and righteous, then you must turn to Christ. Therefore, holy brothers, Hebrews chapter 3, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him. In other words, God appointed Jesus to be our mediator. Just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house, Moses was faithful. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 3. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. More glory than Moses. So as we see Moses in the book of Exodus... We can then turn and say, who's our representative before God? As it says in verse 19, who represents the people before God? Who's the one who warns us and teaches us the statutes and the laws of God? Who's the one who makes us know what our way is, that we may walk in the, in the way that pleases God and the things that we should do in order to be God's people? Who is the one who does that? Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ's life, death, burial, and resurrection is how we, is how we, when we inquire of God, how do we, how do we come to be with Him? How do we get directed by Him? How do we go to our houses in peace? By coming to faith in Jesus Christ. By hoping in Him. By finding that we are indeed found right in God's eyes. Have you come to Christ? Are you inquiring of the Lord? Are you asking, is it, is it that I've made enough of a mess of my life that now I need to begin asking the question, what is it that the Lord wants me to do? Could it be that you have begun, even maybe as a Christian, begun wavering and starting to think about your conflicts and your struggles and the way you make choices in your life more like the world makes those decisions instead of how the Lord makes those decisions? We are so apt, aren't we, to make our choices and our decisions based on whether it's going to make us money or whether it will save us money whether it will be a good, healthy decision for us, whether, whether it would put us out too much or give us too much freedom, or will it make us comfortable instead of, is this obedient before God? Is this faithful? God calls us to himself in Christ, to trust Christ. Second, that's the first thing I wanted to note. Second, the leadership advice and stru- structure was not simply God's people getting organized, It was to prioritize the importance of God directing his people through the statutes and the laws. And this morning, we have to confess that the reason we have elders and deacons in our congregation that serve so faithfully is because there's so many things that are here in our congregation, so many aspects and difficulties and struggles and situations. And you know what God wants us to keep at the center of all these? His word. The elders and the deacons are just a means to make the word of God stay central in our congregation. The elders and deacons help me so that I can regularly come on Sunday morning. And when I, and, and you, I think you know this, I hope you know this. When I stand up here on Sunday morning and say, thus saith the Lord, it's because I have a word from the Lord. It's not because I get up here and try to figure out what Shane needs to say to you to be helpful for you today. Thus saith the Lord. Why? Because you desperately need that. You desperately need God's words. The deacons, the other elders are amazing 
at helping me do this week in and week out. Continue to support them. Why? Why is it so important that we have this leadership structure? Because it's of eternal importance. Hebrews chapter 13, listen to this. Hebrews chapter 13 says this. Obey your leaders. That's not just elders, but that's also deacons. Obey your leaders and submit to them, it says in Hebrews 13. For they are keeping watch over your souls. Do you hear that? They're not just trying to manage your lives. They're keeping watch over your souls. Notice, as those who will give an account. Did you know that when you stand before the Lord, you've got to give an account for your life? When I stand before the Lord, I have to give an account for you. That is something that I should never and we as leaders should never take lightly. We're going to have to give an account. We're watching over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this. Let these leaders do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. Finally, this counsel was applied. This counsel was applied in verses 24 through 27. We've got to assume that Moses, having been in the presence of God, he feared God. And what's the beginning of wisdom? It's the fear of the Lord. And so we've got to assume that because Moses was a judge, and he was judging all of God's people, and he was given that responsibility by God, and he was wise because he had been in the presence of the Lord, specifically at the burning bush, but he's getting ready to do that at the mountain as well, that he fears the Lord in such a way that he has wisdom that's really... um, second to none other in the camp there in in the Hebrew camp. With that wisdom, he takes Jethro's advice and he does it. (laughs) He sees Jethro's advice, Moses does, as good and godly advice for him. He responds appropriately. Notice what it says in verse 24. Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law. Now, everywhere in the Bible where it speaks of listening, it's usually followed quickly after this other verb, and it is this. And he he listened to the voice of his father-in-law, and he did all that he said. Listening and doing comes together almost all the time in our Bible. When you hear this word today, the question is, is how are you going to do it? How are you going to live it out? The Lord's been prayerfully, hopefully speaking to you by His Spirit in ways that you can live out this word that was spoken to you and order your lives according to the laws and the statutes of God's word. Moses listened in wisdom and began to do this word that Jethro gave to him. Not only did Moses listen, but verse 25, it says he gets about doing what he needs to do in way of the men. He chooses able men, it says. And he does what Jethro asked him to do. Out of Israel, he made them heads over the peoples, cheese of thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but in any small matter, they decided themselves. So they're doing exactly what Jethro had ordered and given to Moses to do. Moses not only listened and began doing it, but then he chose able men and began to get the work here. And then finally, I want you to notice that Moses not only listened and chose, but he also let his father-in-law depart. Now, it's interesting because when Jethro came to Moses, what did he have with him? Zipporah, his wife, and his two children. We don't see Jethro leaving with them. More than likely, now that the danger of Egypt and exiting Egypt was gone, Zipporah and the two sons now are going to stay with Moses. These are implications as we look at the text because we don't see anything in it. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart. And it says, and he went away to his own country. Now, every time I read that, I'm reminded of Jethro saying earlier in verse 23, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. After that confession that Jethro made in the beginning of chapter 18, he's a, he's a man now that's following Yahweh, the God, of, the God and Lord of Moses in the Hebrews. And now after helping Moses order the structure so that God's people can be careful to hear and listen to God's word and apply it to their lives. I can't help but to think that when it says here that Moses let his father-in-law depart and he went to his own country, that he did it in peace. With peace. Now, that's an inference, granted, but it seems that that's exactly what is implied as, as, as Jethro here himself mentions that 
earlier in verse 23. May the Lord be with you, brothers and sisters, and direct you and cause you this morning to go to your homes in peace. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Let us pray.